in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, it's finally game week for the Badgers. They're going to take on Illinois on Friday night at 7 o'clock at Camp Randall Stadium. Empty Camp Randall Stadium. A lot to get to in the show. We'll talk about the depth chart. We'll talk about our expectations for Graham Mertz and his first start. We'll talk about Illinois a little bit, too. Badgers 23.5 point favorite. Seems a bit high. But we'll get to all that here in the next 45 minutes or so. But we'll start, Jesse, just with the idea that we are actually going to see football this this Friday. We were not expecting this uh, two months ago, obviously, when they shut everything down. But it, and you weren't even sure what it was going to look like. Were they able to, get, able to make it to the game day uh, with all the COVID uh, breakout all over the country, especially in Wisconsin? And would they make it? It appears they're going to make it. And uh, just... Uh, a little bit surprising that they've made this far. Or are we just are we just excited for football? Don't care how they, how it happened. <laughs> well, I care a little bit about how it happened. I mean, uh, I'm going to be in the press box on Friday, so you want everything to go as smoothly as possibly can go. But you're right. A couple months ago, there was no season, and I assumed that was that. I didn't really know that the Big Ten would reverse course. But given that the SEC, the ACC, and the Big Twelve decided to push on with seasons, and then they were playing games. I think it perhaps put a little bit more pressure on the Big Ten and the other conferences to follow suit. And clearly the Big Ten was able to feel feel good about developing enough safety protocols to be able to pull off this season. But without those other power conferences playing a few games, I don't think this is happening. Again, I am glad that it is happening and we do have a Friday night opener against Illinois. Yeah, no no doubt. And we look some games, we've seen some of those major conferences have to cancel games. I believe the, the count of canceled games so far across the landscape is, is over 30 now, or not even canceled, but postponed games. Some of them, I'm sure, will end up being canceled without being able to find a place for them in their schedule. Wisconsin and the Big Ten does not have that luxury. If they don't play a game, if a game has to be postponed due to COVID, it's not getting made up based on the way that they set their schedule up. It's eight straight weeks, and the ninth week is going to be Champions Week, and so you're you're... I guess fingers crossed that none of uh, these games have to be canceled or, you know, probably won't get a, I don't know, true champion. I don't know. doesn't matter. Right now, no issues. The antigen tests appear to be uh, paying off for Wisconsin and, and the rest of the Big Ten and trying to keep the, uh, the field as clean as possible. So we do have a game, but uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But I wanted to talk about the depth chart first as they came out with their first depth chart of the season on Sunday afternoon, looking it over. There are a number of different positions that stand out. I want to start at, though, at, at wide receiver because all camp, we heard about Chimray DK and how, how good he had been. The depth chart comes out, and it's the four seniors. It's Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor, Jack Dunn, Adam Krumholtz. And I had a lot of people in my mentions you know, a little upset, wondering where you know, all, this, uh, all this buzz about the kid, and he's not in it. And I'm, everyone just needs to calm down. Because I think uh, they went with the seniors for a reason. But Chim De- Chimray DK is going to play a bunch of football, and I think we're going to see the ball in his hands a bunch on Friday. I would agree, and uh, I wrote a piece on this today, just breaking down the depth chart and evaluating each position. And I, what I said was um, this is could be the most surprising season opener just because we don't know what to expect because because none of us had an opportunity to watch any practices for understandable reasons. But we're basing all of our information off the player and coach interviews uh, on Zoom. So, yes, Chimray DK's earned rave reviews, and Alvis Witt had said that uh, he was in the top five coming in after those four seniors. I mean, he didn't put them in order, but I'm not surprised by how the depth chart looks but I also don't think it means definitively that Jack Dunn and Adam Krumholtz are going to get the third and fourth most snaps or receptions in every single game. Those guys have the trust of the coaching staff. On the other hand, we know Wisconsin needs some big play threats, some big time playmakers, and that is what Chimray DK can provide. He did it at Waukesha North. Uh, he was double and triple teamed a lot of times in high school, and his high school coach told me that, and he said, I can't wait to see what he does in one-on-one coverage, and I think we're going to get a chance to find out. We are, and Eric Burrell was asked on Sunday, you know, who's the guy that gave you the most trouble in camp? And it wasn't even just which young guy gave you the next the most trouble in camp, it was which guy gave you the most trouble, and he laughed and he said, Chim Radike. So I do think 
you know, I don't want to put huge, huge, huge expectations on Friday night for for Chim Ray DK, but I do think he's going to play a significant role this year. Moving to a different position, the offensive line they had uh, they had to replace three starters in the middle. They have done that, and they've done it in an interesting way. In that, John Dietzen, after missing all of last year, really not hasn't played a hadn't played a snap football since December of 2018, returns and earns a starting job, but it's not on the normal left side that he played throughout his career. It's on the right side. He's a starting right guard, and they have Josh Selsner at left guard, and Caden Lyles wins the job at center. Just, you know, when you look at what John Dietzen was able to do, does it surprise you at all that he's able to jump back in and, and take over a starting job? And just what does that mean for an offensive line that had to replace all that experience gets a guy who started 32 games? I don't think John Deason would have decided to come back if he didn't feel like he was absolutely certain that he could play at this level. Obviously, he stepped away for a reason, and a lot of us assumed that was that. But I think it it says a lot about just his health, first of all, and the respect he has with the teammates and the talent level that he has. I've gotten a question about should Wisconsin or should it be a concern that a guy who didn't play last year can come in and take a starting job away from someone else? And I don't think that's the case at all. If anything... It just shows how strong the unit is. I mean, he had 32 starts on the left side at both tackle and guard, so he has that versatility. And I think it, it says a number of things. First of all, that Josh Seltzner was good enough to lock down the left guard job. Uh, and you see Logan Bruss and Tyler Beach are listed as or at right tackle, which means either of those guys could be the starter. When I talked to Joe Rudolph in the summer, his initial plan, and this was before Dietzen came back, was he was going to move Bruss inside to right guard so Tyler Beach could be the starting right tackle. He felt like that would give them more versatility and flexibility on the interior. So Dietzen returning takes some opportunities away from that Bruss or Beach combination. I mean, I, I think it will be Bruss just because of what we've seen in the past, and Beach would be that first tackle in. But now you've got six guys that have starting experience on the line, and I think this line will be better than it was last season and that's a year that had the best center in the country with Tyler Biotic. Yeah, no, it's a it's a group that has a chance to, you're right, does have a chance to be better than it was last year, and John Dietzen's return, I think, has a lot to do with that. You know, some of the backups at the, at those spots, Logan, I think the name that obviously would stand out would be Logan Brown at left tackle, but I I guess I would be surprised that if Cole Van Lannen went down, Logan Brown would be in. I, I imagine that they would move Tyler Beach over to left tackle, right? Yeah, I would think so, too. Just because you have a two deep and you've got nine names listed or ten names listed doesn't mean that all those guys will actually play in a given season. Yeah. Rudolph has to go with the guys that he trusts. And Tyler Beach, clearly, if he isn't a starter, is the top tackle and can play on either side. But I think it's encouraging if you're a Badgers fan to see Logan Brown there because he missed all of last year with an injury. And he's one of the most hyped offensive linemen to come in, at least until Nolan Rucci gets here, I suppose, yeah. because he was a five-star prospect. So... We know that the the pipeline is there with talent, but uh, it's encouraging, I think, if you're a Wisconsin fan, to see the guys in the two deep, and, and I think the line, again, will be very stout. Yeah. There's some people that have made a uh, have asked questions about the tailback spot because it's Garrett Groshek or Nakia Watson, and they're like, are those the two? Is, is Groshek the starter? Is that what's going on here? And I don't think it has a lot. I don't think, again, should be reading too much into that. I think Garrett Groshek continues to have the same role he did the last few years. And Nikia Watson is going to be the guy that, you know, you would use in first down under center situations and just, you know, they'll, they'll rotate those guys in. They got Isaac Garendo to do a bunch of different things. That's what I expect as well. I think Nikia will wind up with the most carries. And, and Rudolph said that he's got to be that physical ball carrier that Wisconsin needs. And Groshek will occupy a number of different roles. But I, I won't be surprised if it's similar to what we've seen in the last couple of years. I was a little bit surprised that Paul Christ just named who the top three running backs were <laughs> off the bat. I think yeah. I mentioned this on a previous episode, but uh, that says a lot about what the coaching staff thinks about Isaac Arendo. They put an offensive package in, or at least a handful of plays in for him in the Rose Bowl against Oregon. So he's got to take a big step up because Wisconsin needs more than two ball carriers. This is going to be one of those years where John Settle has to rely on different guys. There is no Jonathan Taylor in the bunch. You can't just hand off the ball off to one guy 300-plus times, and he's going to rush for 2,000 yards. I'm interested to see whether Jalen Berger yes. or Julius Davis can jump up into that top three. I mean, it's it's asking an awful lot for a true freshman like Berger to do so, but he has the talent. And again, just like wide receiver, they need as many playmakers as they can find at running back. I hate to make too much of highlight videos, especially ones that are 
so condensed, right? Um, no, let's do it. We're all I'm, about it. This is all we have to go on, Dad. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to do it anyways because they included Jalen Berger in the highlight package talking about the running backs, right? They had the they had the three that we know, but then Jalen Berger got a couple of clips in there, and no other running back did. It was just Jalen Berger and those other the other three guys along with the fullbacks, obviously. But the the move that he had to get the little zone run, or the zone read, and he gets the ball, does a little jump cut into the hole, and then gives Dante Burton a little bit of spin move and takes off. Like that has to excite fans. And I'm just wondering if uh, if you're including that type of stuff in a highlight package, whether that there are going to be some opportunities for him to get the ball in his hands. I don't know about Friday night, but somewhat early in this season. Well, I won't rule it out. I mean, th- we just have no idea what level Isaac Arendo is at right now. Right. He has one career carry, uh, and that happened in the Rose Bowl. So, again, the coaching staff has seen everything. We haven't seen anything, which is unlike any other year. And if they think he's in the top three, then he's there for a reason. But Berger can do a lot of different things that can stress defenses. And and sure, it's a big step up to do it in the Big Ten as opposed to what you did in high school in New Jersey. But he could get out on the edge on sweeps. He's strong enough to to run between the tackles. And his pass-catching ability, I think, has a chance to be special. Now, Garendo is a convert, converted wide receiver, so he can do that too. But I, I won't rule anything out. There's There's, to me... It's not like Jonathan Taylor and everybody else like it was last season. I mean, the, the the gap is not as wide, and so I think that can provide more opportunities for guys if it's close. Yeah, I'm reading way too much into highlights. Uh, <laughs> no, that's okay because my favorite highlight is a Graham Mertz throw. It's, it's officially Mertz season. The, fi- the throw that traveled 55-plus yards in the air, and he dropped the dime in there to Danny Davis. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are salivating about that. And he may have thrown 12 interceptions in fall camp, but all we saw was about right? 30 seconds of highlights. Yeah. I mean, and when they showed the DB highlights, there were some guys getting their hands on balls. So, you know, those those had to come from somewhere. Had to come from someone. Probably Daniel Wright. Right? I mean, that's 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 those are probably all Daniel Wright throws. No. Uh, Kidding, of course, big fan of Daniel Wright. Going to the other side of the ball, defensive line is the defensive line, but I think the outside linebacker spot is the one that you know, had been talked about a ton in camp and coming into camp and who's going to replace Zach Bond. And we all thought it was going to be Isaiah Green May. And I, it, Isaiah Green May is a starter, but he's not a starter by himself. He's a co-starter uh, with true freshman Nick Herbig out of Hawaii, who, like Jim Ray DK on the offensive side, has gotten just a ton, a ton of love from both players and coaches, both offense and defense. Any surprise there that he is in the, uh, the two, not just in the two deep, but uh, essentially uh, could be running out there with the first team defense on the first snap. Yes. Okay. I, maybe I shouldn't be surprised just because like you said, we've heard rave reviews about Herbig and players aren't just saying it to say it. Um, but I thought it was going to be Isaiah green may and there would really wouldn't be any other question about it. He was one of the breakout stars to me of fall camp last year. And he started the season opener before he had that thumb injury and then you looked at the roster coming into camp, and he was listed at 232 pounds. And that was up from 215 pounds. At least that's what he was listed at before spring practice began, which was like a six-pound drop. And this is a guy who needed to, to maintain and gain weight. So I felt like he was going to run away with it. Herbig obviously has tremendous talent. He was the defensive player of the year in Hawaii last year. And Bobby April said that he's basically doing the same things in practice that he did on his high school highlight tape. And he's somebody who could have gone to a number of different places. He had a bunch of offers on the West Coast, and he came to Wisconsin because he saw that outside linebackers developed into NFL guys, and he made no bones about it that he wants to take that path. I mean, it's an awful lot to put a name out there like T.J. Watt, who was an All-American and and a first-round NFL draft pick. But for Herbick to do this so soon says a lot about his ability. I'm honestly a little bit more surprised that a name like Spencer Lytle wasn't in the two deep and that C.J. Getz is there as well. Um, We'll have to see who gets those reps. But there's a lot of talent at outside linebacker, and Nick Herbig could be the next special one on the pipeline. Well, and what they do at outside linebacker, and you know, Bobby April said it as much last week, is he he likes to have three guys, right? Have two have two starters, and then have a third guy that's going to rotate between the two. And it's sounding, at least you know, to begin with here, it's going to be Isaiah Green May and and um, and Nick Herbig, you know, perhaps sharing time there. And then whoever's not doing that is going to be spelling Noah Burks and spelling the other guys. So. Those those three, Spencer Lytle just and, we, and we've heard a number of times has been able to stay healthy, has been able to stay on the field, and and is dealing with I believe it was a hamstring injury, just hasn't been able to stay on the field uh, a lot, and I wonder if that has played a role in his uh, the fact that he is not in the two deep. Um, but we'll see. They have uh, 
a number of uh, of other players, young players at the position too, that I think that they're excited about. But Nick Herbig has been by far the one that's talked about the most. The other intriguing thing, and this is another one that probably shouldn't be a huge surprise, is that inside linebacker, you, we, we knew we knew it was going to be Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn at the inside linebacker spot with Mike Mascalunas backing one of them up, but he is backing both of them up. They decided not even to list another linebacker at inside linebacker other than Mike Mascalunas, and uh, that probably not a huge surprise because Bob Bostead said as much last week that he's got three guys that he feels rock solid about, and then not much after that. And I think that has to be a, a rather significant concern, especially in the age of COVID, and in, you know the potential for injury there is is probably pretty high, and you don't know if those guys can be able to stay on the field the entire year. So how big a concern should that be for Wisconsin that they haven't been able to find that that fourth inside linebacker yet? Oh, I think it's definitely a concern. Bostad said that Mascalunas would be, he said, quote, a, a priceless piece to this group this year. And and obviously that came to fruition because he is at both backup spots. He likes Mascalunas' versatility and he called him a self-made guy and exactly what you want in the program. It's no surprise that Leo Chanel is, is one of the starters. If you just based it off bench presses, then he'd be an All-American. <laughs> but um, I mean, so we knew those were going to be the three guys. But you even asked Bostad when you talked to him is, is Mumajong Meta still on the roster? Is he still playing? Because Bosted didn't say anything about him. And so I, I think it's pretty clear that Bosted feels like some of these young guys have a long way to go. But they brought in three guys in the 2020 recruiting class at the inside linebacker spot. And you start to drop down the depth chart. You have an injury or somebody can't play and, and isn't able to get back for 21 days. And you're going to be asking a lot of guys that have never stepped foot on the field. And so I certainly think it's a concern. Jack Sanborn really has to lead this group more so than even a normal year because there just isn't a lot of depth. And and now everyone's looking around. He's the leading returning tackler, and and you've got uh, a lot of inexperience behind him. Yeah, you definitely do. He's, I think, what, what did Bostad say? He said, uh, do I like the young group? Yes, but is it a stretch to say they are ready for Big Ten play? And he said, yes. So we'll see. They've got you know, again, three guys is three rock style guys. Three guys you can count on is nice, but obviously he would love to have a fourth. But he 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 said as much. He doesn't. He hasn't really had a fourth for a while. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he didn't feel good about Mascalunas last year or not. But he does now, and he's he's their guy behind the the starter. So that's a linebacker. I, there were a couple of uh, you know ors uh, or in the secondary that that caught my eye. The first one being at cornerback. It's Caesar Williams. Or Fayon Hicks with Rashad Walgus as as you know one of the starters. Is that just simply because that's the nickel? Like I mean, I, like that's kind of what I think. I think Fayon Hicks and, and Caesar Williams are your starter on the outside, and, and Rashad Walgus is your is your nickel. No, that's my thought as well because they play five defensive backs so much, and Williams and Hicks combined to start 19 games last season, I think, and and Walgus is the top nickel corner. So if you have three corners on the field, I would assume it's going to be those three guys. Um, Jim Leonard's going to play, I don't know, six, seven, eight corners. <laughs> he said in the offseason he felt comfortable with eight different cornerbacks. So a little surprising there, but I just think it's it's almost like semantics that yeah. you will see all those guys on the field a ton, and it doesn't necessarily matter who's on the field for the first snap. Um, and, you know, I thought it was more interesting, honestly, at some of the safety spots yeah. and, and who's in the two deep. Yeah, no, I, and that was the other one, right? It was the – Colin Wilder or Scott Nelson. I think most people just expected Scott Nelson to come back in after a year off, and or not a year off, a year having to deal with the injury, uh, of the knee injury, and coming back and just being ready to go and being the starter in place of Reggie Pearson. Instead, it's Colin Wilder out there, and I, I kind of got that inkling when it uh, when it was him and um, it was him and Fayon talking last week, as opposed to Fayon and, and Scott Nelson, that it was going to be Colin Wilder that was going to get the call there. Yeah, and I. Part of me wonders if it's just something that Scott has to earn back because he didn't play last year and, and he was injured. Um, I mean, when I talked to Leonard in the summer and asked, well, what are you going to do? And this was before we knew Reggie Pearson wasn't going to be available this season. You, I, I said, you've got Reggie, Eric and Scott all coming back, all guys who could be starters. And he said it would be Reggie and Eric and Scott would sort of have to work his way back in because he was injured last season. Now, I, I don't. I don't know how much Scott's been able to do I, I, because, again, we haven't seen anything. But you're right. To, to have Colin Wilder out there as a representative of the program speaking to the media probably says a lot. And he would be a starter on a lot of other different teams. So it, it says a lot about their depth. But it's also interesting to me that Titus Toller is in the two deep there as the backup free safety behind Eric Burrell. 
Leonard praised Toller, but we didn't see him at all last year because he redshirted um, a guy who initially committed to Colorado and then flipped. So there's some talent uh, at safety as well, and I'm interested to see what Toller can do if he gets a chance. How interested are you to see who's going to be out there punting on Friday night? <laughs> Assuming I didn't know I, if there was going to be a punter, Zach. Yeah. I mean, we knew nothing about special teams. My favorite was when someone asked Paul Christ about the options at kick return without Garen Kruikshank. And he said there was a group of guys and he didn't name anybody. <laughs> so I'm just glad that there are people there. Yeah. But to start with with punter, the, that uh, Andy Vunovich, is that how you say his last name? I don't want to butcher it. Maybe I I'll have a chance to ask him someday. That's that's, what, um, that's, why, I let, that's why I let you say it. I'll just call him Andy for now then. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's the only one that's a punter that has any college experience, but it came at the Division three level. So... I don't know what to expect there. They obviously needed to be better without Anthony Lottie. I don't know if they will be better, but I guess we're going to find out because I assume Wisconsin's going to send out the punt team at some point. Yeah, no doubt. And then, yeah, this, the the kick returner, instead of Aaron Cruikshank, it's Stephen Bracey who's, who's got the uh, the up. I guess he, he's got the first chance, uh, which isn't a, not a huge surprise. He was back there. They worked him in practice back there last year but then Chimray DK is, is is the backup of that spot so we could see him involved in special teams I thought Jalen Berger may have had a chance to uh potentially be involved there and, and maybe he will be at some point but Stephen Bracey at 5'10 172 uh slightly slightly bigger than Aaron Crookshank but not by much yeah I like what I see back there at the the, the top two guys on kick return you want speed you want guys with sure hands um, Bracy told me that he once ran a 4.38 second 40 yard dash at a Northwestern football camp. Now, maybe you could say those numbers are inflated and, but that's the same. Isaac Rendo ran a 4.38 once at a Notre Dame football camp. So he's there because of his speed. And Joe Rudolph was very complimentary of Bracy in the off season. He said that there were times last season where they thought about putting him into a game. Now you, last year you could play in up to four games and retain the red shirt. And this year obviously is a free year for everybody, but I'm interested to see what he can do. And DK, although look, both those guys were kick and punt return guys in high school. DK returned two kickoffs last year for touchdowns, and there's one on his highlight reel that is just mind-blowing. He had a 92-yard kickoff return for a touchdown against Muskego, and that's a team that's won two straight state championships in Division I, the school that Hunter Wohler plays for. And he he got past two shoestring tackles from behind, and then he outran the entire team down the left sideline. So there's a lot of talent there. I think it's asking a lot for somebody to come in and play at the level that Kruikshank did because he was one of the best kick returners in the country. But at least it's good if you're a Wisconsin fan, just like punter. There are actual names there on the 2D pet kick return, and I expect somebody to be able to do something on the field. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's. Uh, so that's the that's the depth chart. Anything else you wanted to hit on there? Or did we did we get to everything you think uh, was worthwhile? I think we pretty much covered it. I don't. I don't. I mean, th- there are new names on there, like Jack Van Dyke's going to handle kickoffs, and that, that's a that's a a big role to fill after Zach Hintz not being there. And we've never seen Van Dyke. And I, I, it's interesting that Hayden Rucci's the backup tight end. And I think he's going to get a lot of snaps, but uh, we don't need to get too far down uh, the well there on the okay. two deep unless right. people really want to. Jack Van Dyke, 6'5", 202. That is a big kickoff specialist. So I what, hear Graham Mertz is starting, by the way. Yeah, he is. I skipped right over that, didn't I? Like, So you did your, you know, you did your dive into the depth chart for the athletic Welcome back, of course. Good to be back, Zach. I like Been I long didn't, six weeks. Yeah, and <laughs> I did like a quick one for as well, and I didn't even like the first run through. I didn't even mention Graham Mertz. And I'm like, well, I probably should mention that. Uh, probably should mention that at the top, uh, as expected. Graham Mertz is QB one. So getting into Graham Mertz, start number one for him on Friday night. Uh, we all have been waiting for this moment for what three years now since uh, since he committed to Wisconsin. What what was that? Was that in? Uh, yeah, was, was that, that uh, October 2017? Yeah, was it? a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, it was back a... when he had three scholarship offers. Yeah, so it's been three years since we've been waiting for it. He's been waiting for it, obviously, as well. So I wanted to start uh, a sold or not sold with him. Graham Mertz is more likely to have the first start that Alex Hornibrook did against Michigan State than Jack Cohen did against Northwestern. And I, I went back and looked at the numbers. I thought Alex Harnabuck's numbers were better than they actually ended up being when I actually wrote this question down. But he went 16-26, 195, a touchdown, one interception for a 129.5 rating. Jack Cohn, 20-31, 158, one touchdown, also lost a fumble. It seemed like he lost more than that, but it was just one. They, I think they, they gave one to Jonathan Taylor that perhaps was Jack Cohn's fault. He had a 118 rating. So like the rating's not too big. But where where do you come? Is it going to be is going to be more towards the Alex Harnabuck where they – play well and he blows uh you know he he 
throws quite well, and he was really good on third down that day. Or is it Jack Cohn where it just uh, it didn't it didn't look good? This is a tough one because it's not like Wisconsin's opening against Southern Illinois or something like that. But I mean, both these but both of these starts were against yeah, and, and you know, and obviously Alex played a bunch in the week prior to that against Georgia State. Yeah, helped him win the game in the, yeah. the second half. I, I'll take the over on Mertz. I'm obviously all in on Mertz. I mean, I, I, <laughs> you're gonna write, his you gonna write his autobiography. Aren't you gonna write his autobiography one day? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, probably a few years ago. On is that. It, is that, if he throws you, for 170 yards, that means it's better than the other two guys, right? Well, if he no, like I'm talking about, like his rating. Like if it's if it's, if it's higher than 129 and a half, he, is he going to be better than that? That's what Alex Hornibrooks was. I'll say yes, just okay. for the sake of picking a side. You sure. know, I like to hedge Zach, yeah. but th- there's it's hard to know because there's. I feel like way more questions about what this team is as opposed to when those other guys started because Hornerbrook's first start was, was that the fourth game of the season or something like that? Yep, and they'd already and Cone started late in the year. Yep. And I, well, this is, this is I, about the same time actually as, as uh, Cone started, wasn't it? It was like middle of all right. Late well, October. there were many games played before that. <laughs> so like, I don't know what the running back group actually looks like. Is Nakia Watson going to rush for 120 yards? a game or something like that. I mean, is, do they have the wide receiver playmakers? Is Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor going to be those guys? I just, I know much less about the team going into Mertz's first start than I do from those other two guys. But what I do know is everything we've seen about Mertz, some of the throws that he he's made, it's the arm strength, the accuracy. And I think just the way he carries himself, I mean, it's, it's one of those intangibles that he, he carries himself like a quarterback and I think that all those things put together give him that kind of it factor. And I know that some of those are cliches, but I think that they're real, especially for a retro freshman stepping in. I think a lot of the things that he's done so far have validated why he's been the highest ranked quarterback signee. But I also don't want to say he's going to come in and win a Heisman Trophy. I think we should be realistic about what to expect. But since the bar is those other two guys, I say I say he will rise above what those guys did in an opener. I think it's worthwhile to look at some of the starts for those, and maybe it's not worthwhile. It's worthwhile in my mind, perhaps not in yours, but to look at some of the starts of the guys that were in that All-American game and, yeah. how, and, and how they've played. You know, Sam Howell has started from day one, and it's played pretty well. He's been fantastic this year. Didn't have a lot of help on Saturday in their, in their loss, but he's, you know, he's probably been the best of them. Spencer Rattler, I think, is probably a better comparison just because he didn't have to – he got a few games as a true freshman, but – you know, stepped into the starting role this year, and it's been quite the uh, roller coaster for him. You know, what I mean, it's been there's been a lot of good, there's been a lot of bad. He got benched at one point, like so. There, there, some of those guys have been up and down. Ryan Holinsky played last year at South Carolina, not playing this year. So there, there are, uh, you know, it hasn't been all rainbows and skittles. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't been fantastic for these guys that he played with. And, and uh, so while that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to play well, I, I think it's going to be a situation where maybe he's not, I think like the expectations for people are like, he's going to be Russell Wilson. And I think that is obviously way, way too high of expectations uh, coming into a first game. Oh yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, like I said, like I, I the talent is there obviously. And I, I think he comes in with a skill set that is above uh, what most freshmen have. There's no question about that. We don't know what the game plan is going to look like. Are they going to try to ease him into things? I mean, I, I think when he's asked to make some big throws, he'll be able to make them, but I don't know how much they're going to run the ball, how much they're going to need to pass. There's just more unknowns going into this game than, than anything I can remember, but I, I I expect him to perform reasonably well, and I really wonder what's going to happen down the line if Jack Cohn is able to come back from this foot injury. And so far, all we know is he's out indefinitely. I think if Graham plays well enough, it's going to be hard to take him out, even for a guy that has 18 starts and a guy who was going to be the starter going into the season. I mean, this is Graham's team right now, and, and he's got an incredible opportunity to do something. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Moving on, sold or not sold, Chimray DK will catch more balls than Danny Davis did at his true freshman year in 2017. Danny had... 26 passes or 26 catches for 418 yards and five touchdowns that in 14 games. Right. That's why I'm not sold. Um, since you reminded me in a previous episode that, uh, <laughs> they're not going to be playing as many games. So looking at the stats, isn't really a fair comparison. Could be play up to 11. If he, if he is the, let's say he's the third wide receiver or the, or the fourth wide receiver. I, I, 
I don't know how many throws there are going to be for a guy like that just because of what we know about Wisconsin's offense. Jake Ferguson is going to take a lot of those opportunities. He's the leading returning receiver. I expect him to be the number one target guy for whoever's back there at quarterback. So I'm going to take the under. Sold or not sold? Or excuse me, we, we're doing sold. Or I guess I'm not sold. Not was, sold. It, was it not sold? It wasn't over under. It wasn't over under. Um, <laughs> it was sold or not sold. Wisconsin will turn the ball over fewer than two and a half times against Illinois. Last So their, their last eight games last year, they averaged 2.2 turnovers, including the three, uh, the two, uh, three against Illinois, including two in those that last, what was it, last five minutes of the game that, that kind of killed them. Uh, I'm going to say sold. I, I will I will take the under Oof, on that. I don't really? know. I can't tell. Is this over under or is this sold or not sold? They've both been over under so far, but I'll take the under. No, but like it's, no, I like, I, I'm saying sold or not sold. Wisconsin will turn the ball over fewer than two and a half times against Illinois. Oh, okay. So I'm on sold, board with that. You're sold with that. <laughs> I'm sold on it. It's getting a, it's a confusing segment. I, I mean, it took two awful turnovers in the last eight minutes for Wisconsin to botch that game. Um, and first games are going to lead to more mistakes, but I'll, I'll, I think it'll be less than 2.5. Sold or not sold, Jesse. Thank the, you for enunciating. The artificial crowd noise will have an impact on Friday night. Garrett Groshek compared it to a low-level high school game that he played there in Amherst. Yeah, when they played uh, probably the state title game in there in Amherst when it was probably like 500 people in the stands, if that. Well, I think uh, I don't think the artificial noise is going to make any difference. I think it's silly. Oh, but really? Not ha- not having 80,000 fans in the stadium, I think, makes a significant difference because it yeah. takes away from a lot of the home field advantage that Wisconsin has. I still think... Wisconsin's the better team and the Badgers are going to win despite what happened last season. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you think artificial crowd noise is cool? Do I think it's cool? No. Do I think it's worthwhile? Yes, because it's, uh, a empty, quiet, you know, quiet stadium is just not college football. So they have to have something and you're not going to be able to play music during the game like, you know, between uh, while the game is going on. So you have a little bit of artificial crowd noise. I think I think it is worthwhile. It's kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like uh, it's not necessarily white noise, but like it's it is it's it's white noise. It's, the, it's kind of like putting a fan on when you when you go to sleep. It just it makes it makes it feel good. It makes you it makes you understand it's time to sleep, right? It's it's uh, blocking out you know vo- it's blocking out little noises here and there. The artificial crowd noise maybe will not allow you to be able to hear guys yelling from the sideline and that type of thing. So that it it, it evens. It's not cool, but I think it's worthwhile. Um, okay. The Packers at uh, at Lambeau Field, they allowed us to go in there during preseason practice, and they were playing it. Um, and obviously, they've used it in games as well. If it's that, I mean, it's it is noticeable, but it's not overwhelming. And I think I think that is uh, I think it's worthwhile. I do. I just just give it a little bit of feel to the game because okay. no cheer, no cheerleaders, no band. You know, like none of that stuff that you normally hear. Not even going to have the the families of the players and coaches in there. It just it just would be so weird not to have any noise whatsoever. No, I mean I'm just glad we have a game. Uh, <laughs> okay, yes, I, yes, Jesse, <laughs> I am glad as well that we have a game. I'm I'm glad I that think, we get to see football on Friday night. It's just a little bit of extra, a little bit of extra I got in you. there. I got you. It gives us some game day vibes with yes. a Z, yes. but. Uh, yeah, I think it's kind of stupid, but maybe they should just put cardboard fans in the stadium and uh, fill it with eighty thousand of those. Uh, they are. They're selling those. Oh man, and they did. They sold them, and uh, apparently Hayden Rucci's dog is going to be in there. So they, uh, we, we saw that. They, they took a picture of Hayden Rucci's dog, and it's going to be in, in the stands. I don't know how many cardboard cutouts they're actually going to be getting in there, but yeah, it is a thing. Hey, when you lose out on sixty to seventy million dollars in revenue, you're going to be doing absolutely everything positive or possible to to try and garner some more revenue, however you can, right? Wouldn't yeah, you? Wouldn't you put up, put, all, put all the stuffs out to, to do whatever you possibly could? Uh, one more thing: be- if someone's willing to pay money to put a cardboard cutout of anything in there, then why not market it? Right. One more thing before we get to the Twitter questions: Mason Stocky. Yes, I was just thinking of that. We should have brought that up. Yeah, Mason Stocky, obviously starting fullback along with John Chanel, but you getting some work at tailback just in case? Is that was uh, that was the word from from Garrett Groshek? That is what he said, and so we could be debating about which freshman or redshirt freshman deserves opportunities, but ultimately Wisconsin's got to put guys in there that the coaching staff knows it can trust, 
he was he ran the ball plenty of times in high school, as a lot of these guys did. And so, yeah, it sounds like from what Groshek said that uh, there's the possibility of him getting a handful of carries to spell somebody. And again, in this weird COVID season, if anything happens and you need somebody else, he could be the guy. Wisconsin still has John Schnell at fullback. So Stocky's got some versatility. I mean, he he scored a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. He's He's been able to, to do some different things, and, and maybe he will be one of those guys that gets a handful of carries. All right, so let's get into Twitter questions. Uh, Bill says, Paul Chris was very conservative on offense in 2018 as Cone lacked experience and Cephas was out. Even though Chris says they won't change the offense, should we expect this in 2020 with Mert's lack of experience and no Q? No. <laughs> Air that baby out. Yeah. That's well, my that, That's your expectation? That's, uh, or is, I, that, I, is that what you want? I, I don't think – I think Mertz is good enough that they don't have to, like, soften the game plan and just run the ball a ton and he throws it 15 times or something like that. You got a guy like Grant Mertz, you got to give him a chance. And so I expect them to throw the ball just like they would if Jack Cohn was in there. And Cohn threw it a lot last year. He did. That that kind of leads into C.T. Badger's question. Any sense for the type of game script – we're going to see uh, Wisconsin generally 60-40 run pass, but might this become more balanced in 2020 without Jonathan still, Taylor? No, I, I still think it'll be a lot of the same. It's just that you'll have different guys running the ball. My bigger question is Jonathan Taylor was going to give you six yards a carry, and do they have a guy that can do that this year? Because that makes a big difference. If if Nakia Watson's averaging four yards a carry and they can't develop some – big play threats at running back, then does that make you have to throw the ball more? I just, I don't know, but I, I would expect the ratio to be similar. Um, it's just that when they do throw, I think that they'll, they'll give Mertz an opportunity to let it rip. Bill says, does Groshek Watson as the starter have as much to do with them as it does young guys not getting much chance to show what they can or not knowing the offense? That is another hard question to answer because yeah, we haven't seen anything, but I think Arendo's had enough time now to know the offense. I can't say the same about the other two guys because Davis had that core injury last year. And I know he did some stuff on scout team and Berger just got here. So I think it's a number of different factors. They've got to lean on experience. I think Watson was going to be the starter no matter who came in, but maybe there's somebody else who can push him. Well, I really don't know. I wish I had more definitive answers for the listeners out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bill, he peppered me with a bunch of questions. We're going to get to all of them, or most of them. He says, the the O-line appears to be the most physically talented and deepest in a while, but maybe better next year. Your thoughts? Well, let's see. Cole Van Lannan and John Dietzen are seniors, so will they be better without Cole Van Lannan at left tackle? I don't know if Logan Brown can step in and play at that level. I don't, I don't, I would pick Van Lannan over that. I think they'll be good on the right side. Assuming that someone like Bruss doesn't go to the NFL. I'm, I'm just assuming based on the year that these guys are, you're going to have a lot of upperclassmen in there and you've still got these five freshmen that came in in the 2020 recruiting class. And I don't know if a redshirt freshman is going to come in and play right away. I'm not ready to say right now that the unit next year will be better. I'd, I'd like to see what what this group will do. I think this is a darn good group, though, right now. And and by the way, we should also mention Caden Lyles locking down the starting center role. I think if the season had started in its normal time and there was a September 4th opener, like on the original schedule, I don't know where Caden Lyles would be at, <clears throat> Excuse me, because he was dealing with the injury and, and Rudolph really had some concerns about uh, where he would be at that point. So says a lot that he's been able to lock down that starting role. And Joe Tipman, who was going to compete for the starting center job, or at least in the two deep, Rudolph felt like there wasn't enough opportunity. And that's why you see Tipman at backup right guard. I think Tipman has a chance to be really good on the line in the future. Yep. Adam asks, uh, watching Ohio State-Wisconsin game, seems that obviously Ohio State has more talent, but Wisconsin is able to compete in that department. The real difference seems to be with depth. Has Wisconsin closed the gap some, or is it still too early to tell? Based on what they've done recruiting-wise here this what, the 2020 class, 2021 class, uh, or 19, 20, and 21 class? That, to me, is one of the more regular talking points that comes up. And it's understandably so, right, because Ohio State is the team that's preventing Wisconsin from winning the Big Ten every year. 
and Ohio State's doing that to everybody. I don't really feel like the gap has substantially closed. We're talking about Wisconsin. Yes, the two best and three best recruiting classes are are three straight years, but the 2019 class was 29th, 2020 I think was 25th, and this year's group might break into the top 20. Ohio State's number one, or in bad years, number five. And they replace a guy who gets injured with another four or five star prospect. And I say this before, but Wisconsin might have a walk on that comes in. So I think the overall talent of, of a team is always going to favor Ohio State. But if the guys that are starters can stay healthy at Wisconsin and play from start to finish, then the Badgers have a chance. So I, I hope that answers the question. I, I mean, Wisconsin is clearly at a level where it is capable of beating Ohio State, but a lot of things have to go right. And the Badgers can't afford to drop down the depth chart, even though they've got better classes coming in and recruiting. Yeah, so 24-7 does their their team talent. What is it? Uh, college uh, Big Ten football team talent composite. It, it just puts you know what what's on the roster. Ohio State is number one in the Big Ten for obvious reasons uh, by a significant margin. They have 14 former five-star recruits on their roster. The next closest in the Big Ten is two with Michigan. Their four stars, 52 four-star recruits on their roster right now. Penn State has 47. Michigan has 40. Nebraska, 22. Wisconsin has 12. Wisconsin is considered the fifth most talented team in the Big Ten based on recruiting rankings. Obviously, those don't decide anything, but right now, that's that's the talent that Wisconsin has on the roster. It's not necessarily at the same level, or, and it never will be, for uh, of Ohio State. So, But are they recruiting better? There's no doubt about that. Bob asks, uh, it's great to see as many freshmen in the two deep as there are. Who's the next true freshman to make an impact? Uh, we've already talked about, obviously, Chim Ray DK and, and Nick Herbig and even a little bit about Jalen Berger. Is there another true freshman that could potentially uh, make any kind of an impact this year in your mind? Well, I'd like to say it could be a linebacker because there's three inside linebackers. I mean, I don't know, like Malik Reed or Jordan Turner, but it's total speculation at this point i don't i don't know how many there will be what i will say is that because this year is so unique you can play these guys if you feel like they're even close to being ready um and there's no consequences because again this is a free year and there's the possibility for injuries all around i will pick i'll just say a linebacker like i i don't <laughs> i don't think that a lot of these other positions you're going to see guys playing so that that's where i'll go yeah what, are, what do you think no, I don't. I don't think there is. I think it's those three that'll make an impact, or or perhaps none at all, just because they have yeah. some. Just because they have so much returning talent at a lot of these places, a lot of veterans. You know, like there's there's no spots along the defensive line. There's no spots in the secondary. Like there's just it's just not there. The offensive line it's going to take a little bit. You know, wide receiver. We already talked about Jim Ray DK, and we talked about Jalen Burger at running back, quarterback. We already nothing there. So I mean, tight end, you would you know you'd be looking at tight end, but in talking to Mickey Turner, he while they may trap they may travel five or six tight ends, which is just unheard of according to to Turner. But none of them, it's not Cam Large, you know, and it's um it's not uh, Koldakovich. So it's not either of those either of those two. They have a, just a ton of guys, you know, they're either redshirt freshmen or, or upperclassmen that they're going to bring in. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you, you mentioned the eligibility thing and and adam wanted us to spend uh 30 seconds on the eligibility rules with this season like do guys still get four games without losing a red shirt and will all the players have an additional year of eligibility or just seniors and is this up to the school to agree to it does that make sense yeah yeah uh you can play as many games and everybody gets a free year so that's kind of where it's at now I don't know what's going to happen, and we talked about this before in terms of how many seniors are going to want to come back. I know you've asked questions to some of the seniors, and it sounds as though a lot of them feel like, hey, I get to play a nine-game season. That's enough for me, and and that's it. So I don't know how many of those guys would want to come back. Then you would be dealing with a situation where you have more than the 85 scholarship numbers, potentially. Um, but it is a free year. And so to, the more interesting thing to me, and I said this before, is that next year you're going to have three classes of freshmen, 2019, 2020, 2021. You're going to get a log jam at some positions, and I think some unhappy campers who might decide to go elsewhere uh, at schools across the country. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, is it up to the schools to agree to it, though? That is that that is a yes. It is up to the schools whether they want to honor that or not, correct? I mean, I think so, right? Because Wisconsin could have honored it for the spring sports athletes and chose not to. Yeah, the NCAA is leaving it up to the schools to decide. And, 
You're right. I, I haven't asked all the guys that uh, that are doing it, but I, I we got a pretty good idea that Eric Burrell would not be open to it. You know what I mean? Like he's uh, that was even before that was before they came back. Like it was talking about whether he would be able to come back next fall uh, if there was no season this year, and, and you know he essentially said no. Um, Isaiah Loudermilk uh, approaching this as his final season. Garrett Rand was kind of more open to the possibility of of coming back, but you know we'll see. I think it'd probably be a lot easier for guys that are true seniors like fourth year seniors to come back for another year than potentially you know other people like Jack Cohn I could see him being a guy that wants to come back he said as much I think he told his hometown newspaper that he was approaching this as he's got two years left so yeah those uh decisions will be made you know later on but I I wouldn't expect a ton a ton of guys to return you know what I mean we'll see but I I would not expect a ton of guys to return even given that option but Later in the class, like the other, not just the seniors, but the other guys below them, that is where the those um, positions are going to start filling up, and it's going to be interesting to see if if everyone wants to stick it out. I, but I do, I would say I think you're probably right in you know guys not wanting to to stick around. Oh, does, uh, I forgot. Vitaly Pasetsky asked a question as well. The kicking is are they confident in the kicking job? Are they uh, do they have competence? Uh, this team will, he says, this team will go as far as reliable kicking game will take it. Do the Badgers have it this year? Well, I think they'll be better if you're only asking about field goal kicking, <laughs> which I assume he is. Colin Larch was, I don't know. I mean, he was good from 20 to 29 yards. I think he made all <laughs> seven of his kicks. And he was five for 11 on kicks beyond that range. I think he got better as the season went along. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes people just assume because you're older, you'll be better. But uh, I don't know what's so funny. He, <laughs> that was, he was good he from was, twenty to twenty nine. He was good from twenty to twenty nine. Hit all what it was? Well, how many kicks was it? Seven for seven. Hit all, did he hit all his extra points too? Uh, I'd have to look at that. Yeah, I, that's just, I don't that's, have that one right there. That's amazing. I mean, there's silver lining. He was, I don't know. He uh, he was good from twenty to twenty nine. As if well, like, that's like an accurate that's, state. A lot of his kicks came from that range. It's very I accurate. Mean, it's very accurate. Problem, just like him between 20 and 29. It's very accurate. Uh, that's right. The problem is if you get to the 35-yard line and it's fourth and medium or something, what do you do? Or fourth and long? Well, if you're Paul, do you have if you trust it to the yarder like Gaglianoni? If you're Paul Christ, you're punting it. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> like the pinstripe bowl? Yeah. Uh, well, well, they were at, well, I can't remember what yard line they were at in the pinstripe bowl. They They... They sent out the punt team for like a 25-yard punt. It was probably like the 33-yard line. It was like uh, anything, you know, and it was cold. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I, are you still thawing out from that game? That uh, that w- It was cold that day in the press box. But um, I would not feel – I mean, I I feel very confident about him from 20 to 29. Anything outside of that, you know, we'll we'll have to see. But um, – he doesn't. He doesn't I'm have. He does not. Confident. He does not have as big a leg, obviously, as Zach yeah. Hintz had a huge, huge leg. Not necessarily totally accurate from twenty to twenty nine, right? So now we've now they've got a guy who's very accurate from twenty to twenty nine, and now we'll see if he's able to expand uh, his uh, his range a little bit. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I have to say on that. Twenty to twenty nine. That was amazing. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, the kicking game is going to be vitally important. Before we end this, though, I wanted to ask you about Friday night. 23.5-point favorites. Line seems a bit big, but uh, what do you think happens? Man, I'm leaning toward saying that Illinois covers. Yeah, me too. I think they've, they've, got, a lot of, I think they've got a lot of guys coming back, and there's just a lot of unknowns. Not to say there aren't about Illinois, but about Wisconsin, especially offensively. So... I mean, if they win by 21 points, that's still a pretty darn good night for Wisconsin. But yeah, 23 and a half. Uh, maybe I'm just a little leery after watching what happened as 30 and a half point favorites last year. It's hard not to be, right? I mean, you obviously it's a situation where what happened at the, the end of the game is is something that is going to stick with you, and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. I, I I don't feel good about that. But the fact is, Illinois brings back a ton of weapons, uh, and yeah. including their quarterback Brandon Peters, who was up and down last year. But they they got their their uh, type top wide receivers back. They do have to replace their top running backs, but they return I think four or five guys along the offensive line. They're a little weak and or a little young, I should say, in the defense, uh, especially in the in the defensive line. But they bring back their 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 top linebackers, and you know, and it's a it's a 
talented secondary, I think you could say, uh, and they get they get some guys back that went out with injury last year. So it's it is a veteran Illinois team, I believe. Uh, I think I saw where they're the second most veteran team in the Big Ten, behind only Northwestern, and maybe even Northwestern's not that veteran anymore as they lost for uh, for their better players to s- sitting out due to COVID. So it's going to be a challenge. I think it's I I don't I would hammer I would hammer Illinois in covering for sure. Like I I, I think they cover, but. Wisconsin ends up winning. Overall season prediction, though, Wisconsin, a lot of people think they can go 8-0. What kind of record do you have them? Well, I'm going to go 7-1 and one just because uh, I'm going to temper the optimism there. I don't know. They, for the most part, seem to lose somewhere along the way. So I just – I'll say 7-1. and one. What's the loss? Jeez. Maybe it's Michigan. Yeah, I think so. It could too. be Minnesota. It could be Iowa. I, I, I don't. If I had to pick one, I'll say Michigan. I don't know why. I just, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not feeling eight no right now. No, they could prove me wrong though. They could. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be seven and one, perhaps even six and two. We, do, until I see what happens Friday night, it's, it's without having any, having seen this team in practice since last August. It's very, very difficult to to know exactly what it's going to look like, and um, and that's and that has been the case across the country, right? Like LSU coming back, and they lost a ton of people, obviously a lot more than Wisconsin did, but they've been not good so far, um, and so you just don't know what exactly the team's going to look like until it's out on the field. But I, I, you go seven and one, I'll, I'll say seven and one as well, and I think the losses to Michigan. What do you, do you think? College game day going to Minneapolis again for the opener. They 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 take on uh, Michigan. If they put rings out this year, will College Game Day logo be on the rings again? <laughs> if what? If Minnesota does? Yeah. Do you you saw that, didn't you? They're um, they're, they're champion. They're like big. Champion, they're big they're ten, champions of the West. Yeah. They're well. They're Big Ten co-champions and uh, also Outback Bowl champions and College Game Day host champions. I believe is what well, was what was on the ring. They they actually had the logo of College Game Day on the ring. Your disdain for all things Minnesota knows no bounds. But it's not UCF Minnesota. Can be it's a not Minnesota. Champion, then not, any anything's possible. It's not Minnesota. It's not Minnesota. I have. I know. It's <laughs> it's the man who currently is in charge of Minnesota. Um, either way, Wisconsin, Illinois, Friday night, seven o'clock. It'll be at an empty Camp Randall Stadium with some crowd noise that Jesse doesn't care for, and we'll see if Wisconsin get off to a good start. And I don't know about get revenge, but you know maybe a little bit of payback from last year as they take on the Illini. Jesse, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll catch up and talk next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.